Welcome to the Lessons Learned Podcast, a podcast reflecting on the lessons we've learned and those we're still in the process of learning. I'm Komal, your host. I'm an interviewer, investor, and someone who has lived a lot of life in a short time. I built this podcast as a place for us to reflect, to be together, and to learn from one another. Let's get into it. Today's episode of Lessons in Resilience. I am so excited to be interviewing Cassandra today, the founder of Cosmos, also known on Instagram as Join the Cosmos. We're going to be talking about her recent transition in her career and life, and we're going to be talking about community building for communities that look like us, and we're going to be talking about so much more. Hello. Hi. Oh, that was so weird. I was like, it's not letting me. No, I'm so glad it's worked out for us to do this face-to-face ever since we were able to profile Join the Cosmos on, or sorry, Cosmos on Core Space. It, we've kind of been in each other's world, but now we finally get to chat and check yes. out all of these wonderful people here on IG Live. Um, but first, I want to see, how are you today? How is your heart today? Hmm. Thank you Thank for you asking, asking that, that question. question. I'm... I'm feeling pretty grounded. Um, This is my last day in California with my family. And, you know, usually it's pretty chaotic. The last day, there's so many things you want to do. Errands, you got to run. Oh, crap, I didn't pack and I need to head to the airport. But um, I did all of that stuff yesterday so that I can just be present with, you know, the couple meetings I have today and the rest of the time I have with my family. Feeling very lucky. I got to visit for, um, you know, 10 days for the first time all year prior to what looks like you know, a really big wave and maybe another round of lockdowns. So I feel like I'm in the eye of the storm and just, you know, trying to soak it up as much I can before I go back to New York. Mm, I love that so much. And also soaking in that sun, I am sure. (laughs) (laughs) It might have been 85 degrees on Sunday, but I'm not going to (laughs) brag. But it's also nice to be here with you too. Um, I, uh, Sahage, I think messaged me yesterday uh, to say she's so excited to see her worlds collide and obviously like was a big fan of Kara Space when you were still running it and uh, been following ever since, you know, your journey, your evolution. Thank you so much, Cass. And I, you're on a key part of your evolution right now. I was just catching up on your last Instagram live and you have, a, you have called in and owned a new term or, or identity for yourself and that of spiritual teacher. And I'd love to talk about this transition and how you've come into this space of owning this new world and and new identity. Um, And I would love to hear first, I know for myself as a South Asian woman, the wellness space has been so co-opted and just owned by white folks. Mm. And so even myself, when I have been entering personal development or, you know, I call myself a resilience educator, it's taken me years to own this identity because I never felt like I belonged in the space of personal growth and development, of healing, of, of supporting people in this work. And it took me, like, again, years to, to mm-hmm. feel embodied in this identity. So for yourself, you touched on this a little bit as well in your lives. How, what has the journey been like for you to come into this identity and own it in its fullness and to see yourself in this light? I'm so glad I had breakfast. That's a beauty question. (laughs) (laughs) I love that we just get to dive in. And again, I also want to affirm you taking up space in the personal development and like speaking and 
uh, coming into your power. I'm sure there's a book in your future as well. You know, I'm already seeing it and I affirm you in that. Um, I think in a lot of different ways in my life, I have very much felt like a black sheep and, you know, the person that was on the outside looking in, wanting to, wanting to fit in, wanting to be seen and accepted, wanting to, you know, be, be normal in a lot of different ways, like from child, whether it was from childhood, just the flat, fact that I had a flat nose and I was Asian and, you know, I wanted to be blue eyed and blonde haired, like, or coming into college, I felt like it seemed like everyone around me knew what they wanted to do. And on the inside, I felt so lost, but because I had never really grown up, you know, having people around me who emulated self-referencing behaviors, I was consistently looking outside of myself for validation or for um, direction, not re recognizing that I have an internal compass that I can rely on. And so, you know, I, I had a series of events when I was like 22 that really, really threw me to a rock bottom. It was a brutal breakup. It was the realization that, oh, I spent four years telling myself I was going to go to law school and here I am, miserable after taking the LSAT, really uninspired, hating my personal statement, about to like submit pay on these applications and just realizing, ding, like, you're going to be fucking miserable. Like, <laughs> and are, are you going to take 100K in loans for this? So, you know, that was really when I said, oh, my gosh, I, I can't go to law school. And I admitted that to myself, which was the first step, admitting it to myself. I was so afraid of admitting that I don't know. And so it was easier for me to hold on to any raft, any buoy, any ship, anything that looked like it was going anywhere without realizing that that was, in fact, preventing me from really finding my path. So um, when that happened, you know, I jumped around a couple different jobs and, and I never had the cool job, like the cool tech job or like the sexy company. I did a bunch of different things um, that eventually led me into consulting, which as anyone who's ever done consulting before might say, you know, it's what you do when you don't know what you want to do because they're going to tell you what to do. They're going to throw you around in different projects and you're going to try different things um, and you're going to learn about different companies. So I was forced to let go of all the things that I thought I knew I wanted because I hit a moment where like it, up until now, it just like, it just wasn't working. I was so unfulfilled and I was more lost than I was before. And so in accepting that I was lost, I could actually start finding my way. I could actually start figuring out like, well, what do I want? Like I can ask questions of myself that I was too afraid to prior um, and right around that same time was when my spiritual journey happened, which is funny, right? Like when you hit rock bottom, that is the moment where, you know, a lot of the illusions melt away and you're left with nothing but truth. Um, and in order to cope with the real pain and discomfort I had of all of many of these structures that I built for myself, which were illusory anyway, falling apart, I needed something to anchor into. So I had found yoga in 2012 because I was experiencing chronic back pain right around when I was 21 in college, which was very abnormal for someone of that age, right? Like I was very lucky, able-bodied, didn't have any chronic conditions. And yet I would have days where I couldn't get out of bed because my lower back would be searing and hot and tight. And I would have to pop Advil and wait to curl out of bed. It was very troubling, and you know, at the at this time, nobody was really talking about mental health or somatics or the ways that repressed emotions that were unprocessed can also manifest as physical symptoms. So, went to doctors, chiropractors. People couldn't really tell me what was going on, 
And so I Googled, found a yoga class and figured, you know what, if this can save me doctor's bills, like, let me just show up and try it. All of those things, I think, together really put me onto a path of now that I know that the truths that I was looking outside of myself are not for me, where do I go to find the truths that are mine? Mm. And that journey led me inward. That journey led me to the mat. That journey led me to uh, my first yoga teacher, Bianca Furin. Uh, so she still teaches out in LA. Um, she is a master teacher, teacher trainer, yin yoga teacher. And um, hearing the ways in which she would cue and sequence and ask her students to reflect on things that seem so small, like, where can you let go? Where can you breathe a little more deeply? Are you pushing because you need to be or because you're used to it? All of these little questions that seemed um, at the surface level of where my consciousness was, consciousness was at that time, minor, started to kind of like seep into the little cracks of my soul and my body and heal me or, or, or lead me to a path to heal myself understand myself so that was really the beginning of the spiritual journey and I feel like I have just grown and grown my capacity my hunger my appetite for truth which is what I really think a spiritual practice is about it's not it's separate different from religion for me because religion tells you what truth is spirituality asks you to have a direct experience to know for yourself which is to have an experience with it in your body right talking about embodiment and you know, it asks you to be skeptical. It asks you to bring your doubts and your questions and your fears and your anxieties to the table just as much as you're willing to bring your faith and your trust in yourself. And that to me is the most beautiful way that I have found to live, to carry both and to live in that duality and figure out, well, what does union and connection look like? You know, and, and that's the yogic way of life I've adopted. I have so much of my livelihood to thank to, um, Indian culture, um, to yoga, to the thousands of years of healing arts that have been passed on to the world. Like, I, I, my, my family right now, we're all taking Ayurvedic herbs at home. Um, so it's just like, it's completely changed my life to be, be in spaces where I've been able to learn from Indian culture, from, from yoga teachers who take their lineage very seriously. Um, and, you know, that means also dealing with the ways in which it's culturally appropriative in the West. Uh, but I, I'm just so, so grateful that these practices exist and they have been shared with the world. Mm -hmm. So within your Vietnamese identity, what has that experience been like to step into this new role as, as mm. a spiritual teacher? Um, yeah. Has there been, have you felt that stigma? Have you, or any stigma around it? Have you felt like, was that a challenge for you within your identity to step into this mm. So the, the term spiritual teacher that I just started using for myself, like you said, it's very new. It's like, uh, it's almost like a little fragile, it's a fragile identity that's just kind of been birthed out of the cocoon recently. And I'm still playing with how it feels. But the reason why I chose that was because as I deepen my practice of yoga or my teaching of yoga, uh, I have found that yoga is just one gateway into so many universal truths. And if you go through the gateway of Reiki, you go through the gateway of Kabbalah, every gate leads you back to the same thing and so um the more and more that i learn that i consume that i am able to process and alchemize across these different philosophies and traditions i just realize it all leads back to how do we be more of ourselves and how do we live in our truth so that we can create that truth and bring our internal world out into the external world 
Um, so it just started feeling very myopic or inaccurate just to say that I am a yoga student and teacher because the way I operate and see the world is really through a lens of direct experience with spirituality. Um, it wasn't hard for me to accept it, but I think it was hard for me to communicate it to other people. But I just consistently had a lot of friends or, or people who have come to know me on Instagram, people who I've met through different circles, friends of friends like, like you and I here today who have shared with me that I have a gift and it's the way that I carry myself and it's the way in which I share what I am learning through the creation of culture. Like I really care about making that, taking the esoteric and bringing it down to the everyday and I cannot help it because it just informs the lens through which I view the world and how I operate. So when one thing changes me, I change and then everything around me changes. And that's the case for all of us. But um, I take that responsibility really seriously because I know what anything that passes through me will affect generations afterwards means that I can end generational curses or intergenerational trauma in my family. I can make better decisions. Um, and that ripple effect, you know, makes all of us so 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 powerful so my family i think they know i'm spiritual they think it's a little strange probably because there's like the uh superstition spiritual that my family grew up with that i think is so baked into asian culture um and you know i think them seeing me kind of come full circle now to adopt spirituality of my own volition as an adult has been really interesting because everyone else in my family it doesn't really quite they're not religious nor are they very spiritual i think they're more culturally spiritual in the sense of like you go to temple because you're supposed to incense means certain things but it's very layered into asian culture as opposed to being just purely spiritual or just purely religious mm -hmm. so i think i'm actually um a little strange to them uh as an example in my suitcase i'm taking this uh, kuan yin statue that my parents no longer use and i'm like i'm bringing it back for my altar and my mom's <laughs> like what you want this thing like the monk blessed her house and gave it to us like 20 years ago when we bought the house so uh, You're like, yes, mom, I do want that. Let me like, some of that back to the You guys put her into, like, a cabinet and just shoved her away. So I'm going to give her a home in New York. And so she's wrapped in my sweater, in my yes. suitcase. So they're just like, yeah, okay, take it. It's been in, the, it's been in their, the closet for 10 years, but whatever. <laughs> I The reason I ask this is, again, because I just even find, like, as a South Asian woman, I'm a trained yoga teacher as well. And, and when I came out of my yoga teacher training, it was so strange because I was like, this is part of my lineage. Like, this is part of my inherited identity. Yeah. Yet it's so hard for me to own and to, to take on, especially in this wellness and well-being space. So I'm always curious what that's like for other BIPOC folks as they navigate being in the wellness space. But what I love about how you describe your journey is it's simply embodiment. So it's not taking an identity, it's being your identity. And mm. I really feel that through your groundedness and through, through your presence just here right now, but also in how you share with the world. And so something you said earlier was, you know, when you realize the answers weren't outside of you, they weren't externalized, they were actually part of your inner guidance system. And how do you tune into that, that knowing that, that part of you that has the information that we all need? What advice would you have for those who are watching um, to tune into that inner guidance system for themselves, especially in the yeah. chaos that we are in right now? Oh, this is such a juicy, juicy question. And this is because I firmly believe 
um, I don't like the word underrepresented. There was, uh, I think, those of us who've been historically and like kept out of institutions and structures of power. Um, I think the reason why it has been hard for us to come back to our spirituality, our ancestral lineage, like you said, the things that are rightfully ours, our inherited identities, is because like we cannot talk about that without reckoning with how violent Christianity has been. Christianity forever changed the world. Um, it caused wars. It led to um, complete genocide of groups of people, right? And and so, of course, it's hard for us to come back into these things because in our own bodies, we have uh, had to repress maybe our practices, have had to, we've lost our traditions, we've needed to, like, in order to survive. Like, so it, it really is a privilege uh, for me to be at this point where it's safe for me to explore these things because I don't know that's the case for my parents. Don't know that's the case for other people in my line. And so now what I find so empowering about spirituality and, and about like, and, I, and spirituality as a tool or mechanism for connecting with ourselves is not only in practicing it, is it a form of activism and a form of healing, um, but we are creating, I think, like space for other people who might have experienced the same shame and the, the same, you know, mix, I think heady mix of feelings that comes with decolonization work uh, within ourselves to start to be open to the idea that they can also go there. They can also unpack and, and figure out what's really for them. Um, but this is also why I'm so passionate about spirituality. It really is for me a, a, a practice, a ritual of activism, of decolonization, of coming back to who we who we are at the simplest um, kind of definition of it. And to your question about how for folks to kind of tap into that intuition and inner knowing, what I needed to do first and foremost before I could even begin, and it's a lifelong thing. Like I still have moments where I question myself, where I doubt, where I um, hem, hem and haw and like wait to say what I really want because I, I am constantly working on um, removing white supremacy, removing um, capitalism from myself and all the, so that the, the truest parts of me can shine. But I needed to remove the noise. And I think that is the scariest thing in the beginning. Uh, and by removing the noise, it meant I first had to assess in my life, what is going on? Like, can, how can I just start to have more awareness about what is working for me and what is not? And how can I notice, like, how much time am I carving out for myself and how much time am I consistently giving away to everything and anyone that asks anything of me? Because I was that person. I was really addicted to the idea of climbing the ladder, to hustle culture. You know, this is 22, 23-year-old me, really addicted to being everything for everyone. Um, I'm also an Enneagram 2, which is the giver. I'm a 2 as well. Ah, yes, and I'm an older sister, and I'm also the strong friend. So this is a very kind of like crappy combination if it's if it's done without boundaries so mm -hmm. i learned all of that the hard way i was like and i i became resentful because i was never there for myself when i needed it because i was giving away all the goods all the juice all the energy to anything else that asked anything of me so that was really my first step of like creating those boundaries so that i had spaces to be with myself and to really hear like what I needed to hear like to to connect with my body and ask myself like well what do you need what are you feeling today did you eat yet are you sleeping enough 
do you like this person? Why are you talking to them? You know, all of these questions, <laughs> like, like the questions that the, my, like my yoga teachers of a past and present would like seamlessly weave into a, a class, right? I needed to seamlessly weave that into my everyday consciousness because I, it was so just not the way I grew up or, or like I, I just didn't question myself. And it was very, I was second to everything. So that was the first step, creating that space just so I can start to notice and then probe and question uh, made all of the difference and everything followed from that. But without creating that space, without moments of silence and solitude and really becoming comfortable with who you are on your own, I could never have noticed these things because the distractions are so addicting. They're so addicting and it, it's, it, it's built into us. Mm. And part of society is here to distract us from that truth, from that leaning into who we are. And I don't know for you, you, I mean, you're home right now, so I wonder what this is like for you. But I was in, I was back with my family for two months after we had a loss in the family. Mm. And it was really interesting because for all of my growth and development, I was able to sustain a lot of, you know, who I truly am while I was at home. But there was a lot of regression that happened for me, too. Mm -hmm. We can be triggered by our family. We can, you know, go back into old roles and old behaviors. But when I came back, I was able to see that contrast and, and give myself, you know, celebrate myself and give myself grace for this growth that I've had since I was young. So when you look back, how do you recognize or celebrate <laughs> journey of growth? Family, I think, is the hardest. Um, like, if this were a video game, family is like the final boss in the video game, right? Like, <laughs> yeah. you thought you you thought you grew, you changed. Family is that final level in the video game that you really get to test out how much work you've done and if it's really been integrated into your system. Um, and I also think, as I've gotten older, and I especially attribute um, some of my growth to the book All About Love by Bell Hooks. Mm -hmm. But I've just been really grappling with how much we have been programmed as a society to place insane expectation and perfectionism onto our parents and onto our families. Um, such that like, and this is separate from obviously like real pains, hurts and traumas that maybe shouldn't have happened in, in everybody's unique family situation. But a lot of times our suffering is prolonged because we continue to hold on to the to the expectation that that person's going to change and then fix that hole. That person's going to give me closure. Nobody's giving you closure. You give yourself closure and you give yourself and you can decide like what relationship you want to have with someone that's going to create the outcome that best serves you. Like we have so much more autonomy than um, that, that I think is important to acknowledge, but we can't acknowledge it if we continue to believe that my family has to mean all of these things to me. Like, you know, there's so many different configurations and it's uncomfortable to admit, but I think especially as we near the holidays, it's important to center that we don't all have happy-go-lucky families. We don't all feel safe. We don't all, we're not all at the point in our healing journeys where like going home is the best thing for us. Maybe being estranged for a couple of years actually is the best thing for you. Maybe going to therapy so that you have the tools to come back at some later date when you feel ready is the best thing, right? Like there's so many ways to show up. Um, so I, I always, think, always think it's important to center that because I've gone through periods of estrangement with my own family and I'm now able to come to a turning point where coming home, I feel more empowered than I do triggered. 
Uh, because growing up, I my whole philosophy with I had a lot of conflict with my dad um, because again I just was really headstrong. Like I did well in school, but I also wanted different things, and I have like tattoos and a nose ring now. Like there's I've just always wanted to do to do things my way, and to and, and freedom was always so important to me. Freedom and independence, which are two values in Asian culture, at least of our parents' generation, right, are really strange to them. Like, um, and so growing up, I didn't have the wherewithal or the tools or the capacity to be compassionate. I just thought, well, if you don't accept me, then screw you. So scorched earth policy used to be my policy with my family up until probably I was like 24, 25, not too, not too long ago. Then at that point, you know, I had moved to New York um, and I was across the country and not seeing them as much gave me the distance to, I think, appreciate them, to, to, to love them in a different way. And also when I came home, it was like, well, I'm only here for maybe two or three times a year. Are we really going to fight about this? It gave us this strange, like, much more, I think, objective perspective than if we were all so close and accessible to each other, then we felt, I would feel like I could just start shit and drive off, right? Yeah. <laughs> or they could start shit and be like, well, you're, you already live here, so we don't have to, like, treat this as special, or you're already in LA, as they used to live in LA. That space, I think, gave us all a new perspective on, like, well, how do we want to treat each other? Because we're not always together. We're not always going to be here at the dinner table. Um, I've also done a lot of work. Like, I really credit Thich Nhat Hanh's book, The Art of Communication, which, I mean, TLDR, basically, it's two really important takeaways. The importance of deep listening, like listening to hold space for the other person, not for you to interject or tell them they're wrong, you know, to, to let them be express their truth, even if it's wrong, you know, even if you're going to refute it at some point. And then two, uh, conscious communication, recognizing our words can either nourish or poison ourselves and the other people that we're speaking to. Learning that, embodying that, um, allowed me to like really think about, well, what's important here, being right or protecting my peace? Mm. And I choose to protect my peace these days because there's, there's a lot of anxiety in the world. There's a lot of other things I would rather be stressed out about than to the extent possible, you know, fighting with my family. Yes, especially right now. And I, I'm so glad we got to touch on this, especially because the holidays are coming up as you shared. And folks, you know, potentially will be seeing their family depending on COVID measures or, or what they're, what they're deciding. Mm. It, it's really beautiful though, when you do see that growth in yourself and you're like, wow, like things used to be so different. And I'm just like, like even the two months that we were home, my brother and my sister-in-law and my niece and my nephews, they're all at my parents' house right now because they're yeah. being backed up in their house. So we all oh, no. have <laughs> the same room for the first time since high school. Yeah. Um, and it was so beautiful. Like, it was such a loving way to come back to each other. And so it feels so, it, it's really important and powerful for us to reflect on our growth and how far we've come. And so as we wrap up our time together, I'd love to dive into this a little bit around how do you mark your milestones? So I bring this up because we're doing a virtual year planning retreat, your best year at the beginning of yeah. December. The reason I wanted to do this was because Research shows us that planning an organization can help, you know, decrease likelihood of depression, decreases anxiety, just gives us a chance to reground and then be in community around those plans and goals. But what does that look like for you? A key part of my planning process is celebration. Looking back, reflecting, take an inventory of what's mm. happened. 
So what does that look like for you? How do you celebrate your wins? How do you celebrate how far you've come in your journey, especially now as you are stepping into this identity more publicly? I really want to honor this because I, it's nature. Um, Thank you. But how are you going about celebrating everything it took to get here? I love that you're doing this this workshop, this event, by the way. like plan I am a big fan of like planning to creating just enough structure so that there's flexibility and spontaneity to go somewhere. Um, so I'm really a big fan of that. I'll be honest that like I still struggle very much with with celebrating um, because for so long in my life, working, it was my coping mechanism for not feeling, for not for not needing to like for moving so fast that I don't have to sit and recognize the ways in which I um, maybe haven't felt like accepted by society or have felt really hurt by different things in life. Um, for a long time, moving fast, breaking things, and not giving myself space to process, and whether something happened for me in a good way or bad way, was how I operated. I've been on a journey this year of like slowing down and really intentionally undoing that, especially undoing the ways in which it's tied up to capitalism and the ways in which it, it allows me to continue to hurt and violate myself. I am definitely guilty for being the person who hurts me the most, like the way that I, I find my inner critic speaking to me. I, it took me a long time to even recognize like, oh, this is harmful because I'm so yes. used to her being like a like really cruel and catty to me and like telling me that like you can't stop until you're done with this you know like I was I'm so conditional with myself yet I strive to be unconditional with others so that is what I'm working through right now which means like celebration still feels like a foreign activity to me it's like I'm trying to work this muscle and bring put it through PT and I'm just like well I don't know I haven't really wiggled that part of my toe ever in my life <laughs> but we're trying we're gonna put it in water and try um but you know it, it, it helps to have people like you who like to talk about celebration and who ask me these things because it it gets me to sit down and you know and sit down and be uncomfortable with the fact that, like, oh, like, that means I'm giving myself attention for the things that I'm doing or good at. Like, that's so weird. I'm not used to getting attention unless, like, I really work for it. Or, mm -hmm. uh, like, like love and attention and, and yeah, like, gratitude and kindness from, from other people still feels, like, a little foreign to me because I'm just so used to people not, like, like either not letting people give it to me because if I start to love it, that means if it goes away at some point, then it, it might feel, like, terrifying. Mm -hmm. Or, you know, like, in order to open up to that, I might also open to the pain of when it's not there. But that's life, right? Like, pain and the pleasure come hand in hand. And if we cut off one, we don't get the other. That's the same with life and death. Anything that's duality, we only know life is beautiful because there's death at some point. So I'm I'm recognizing that as a really big lesson that I get to continually work on of you celebrate because, you know, life is suffering, as the Buddha said. Mm -hmm. It's suffering. We all suffer, but we can choose whether it's going to be pain or just, like, suffering. And I'm shifting from a place of, like, I don't need to be in pain. I can be, I can be in pleasure as well. It's a new orientation for me. Um, so that is to say... My milestones are probably these quiet moments when I'm just in my room and I finally take a breath and I'm like, oh, we did that. 
you know, like we, we did that and you don't have to wait until you're like huffing and puffing at the finish line to just acknowledge yourself. Like it can be, you know, take a little break on the sidelines um, along the way. So it's, it's a new muscle I'm working on bringing that into my consciousness. I love that. And I would agree wholeheartedly. And I want us to end on what we're celebrating today. And because of how you brought in the duality of, you know, suffering and joy, um, I feel like it's something that I've been flexing a muscle around for the last few years because there has been so much suffering in it's like mm-hmm. my life just when it came to illnesses and recoveries and loss yeah. and things. Yet, and today I want to share just like as my microcosm of that because I woke up today after, and, and I needed this conversation, my soul needed this conversation because the distraction that we're all experiencing in COVID can be back to our addictions and work Mm. is an addiction for me and so I'm enrolled back in school right now we're launching our new product we are doing all these things with the show and growing and um the distraction of work is powerful and this morning my my period's also coming soon and if COVID made me more aware of anything it is my emotional cycle during my period and also the moon cycles and how I align our bodies are with the moon cycles and with the new moon coming up with my period coming up I woke up this morning and I just couldn't get out of bed I'm having yeah. issues right now as well um yet something about radical self-love had come up on my feed and in that moment when I saw it it was and and I as I when I talk about resilience the reason I do is because throughout our life that timeline between when we fall off and when we like go to the nth degree of our self-hatred mm-hmm. and then back to neutral for me that frequency or that how what that bounce back in that space looks like is the true test of my resiliency and so this morning we were over here mm. and the walk back took about an hour and a half yeah but it included just me in a moment saying you're still whole. You are still love. You are still God. You are still God's energy. And all that's making you question that is the illusion that we're in, is this illusion of life that we're in. Mm -hmm. And that walk back is what I want to celebrate today. Because being on this live, um, for folks who, you know, like to follow us online or look to us for our joy or guidance or whatever it is, it's so important for you to also know that these days are hard for all of us, but that we can walk each other back to baseline together through conversations like this and, and through acknowledging these real things together. So that's my celebration is the walk back I was able to do with myself today. Um, that's really beautiful. Celebrating today. Hmm. I'm celebrating that this week I have spent been just so intentional about in my meditations um in my visualizations in the moments in between calls of connecting to my vision connecting to my vision of the world that I want to live in the person I want to be to contribute to it and remembering that I am a powerful co-creator with this universe with source with like God with this energy whatever you want to call it and the more that I remember that, the easier it becomes for me to act upon it. And um, so 
I actually pulled some tarot cards last night and um, have been working on putting my my scarcity, my fears to bed and letting them know no more. You're here to inform me. You're not here to control me. Mm. So that is what I'm celebrating. It's all these little ways that like I'm just pausing to recenter and reorient to my North Star, which is my highest vision for my life and for the world and for love and healing and connection to happen for every living sentient being on this earth and knowing that I am on the backs of ancestors and I am an ancestor in the making as well. Mm. Thank you so much, Cass. I'm going to ask the audience, and I know that there's a bit of a delay on Instagram, but if you want to share what you're celebrating today in the comments, um, we'll stick around for a couple of minutes just to see those pull through. I know we're about 10 minutes over, Cass, so if you have to head out, please do. There's, there's no, don't worry about sticking around, but I just want to okay, take a little cool. bit yeah. from you staying with us. But thank you so much for your time today, for all the work that you're doing. Um, and I can't wait to continue to follow along with your journey and to learn from you and grow with you. And thank you for your time today with us. Thank you for hosting this incredible series on lessons in resilience. It's resilience is one of the most beautiful like things that I think we get to work on and that we get to hold each other through. And I love that visual you shared with everyone of um, walking back to the line. It reminds me of that Ram Dass quote, like we're all just here to walk each other home. Mm. So thank you. I love you. I see you. And I'm so excited that we get to be in conversation together this morning. I love you too, Cass. Safe travels back to New York. Thank you. And hugs to your whole family. (laughs) (laughs) I'm excited to come back to see my cat, though. (laughs) Amazing. Have a good one. Bye. Bye. Thank you, everybody, for joining for Lessons in Resilience today. I feel nourished. My cup feels full. My heart feels full. I want to share some of the things that you're all celebrating. Kim is celebrating being human and that she is enough. Danny is saying, I never thought that I need to be mindful daily of celebrating myself. This conversation was very insightful. I'm so grateful, Danny. Sam Akile says, celebrating courage and pushing past my limiting beliefs. Thank you for this beautiful conversation. Thank you all. And I want to remind you that Our nervous systems deserve to have this kind of nourishment, to be a part of conversations that feel nourishing, relaxing, and that can help ground us again. And I know I'm guilty of this, especially in this busy season. A lot of us who are business owners, we're launching our Black Friday deals, and it's a very intense time because we're all trying to do our best when it comes to showing up in our businesses and our lives. But grace is important right now. Your heart is important right now. Caring for your well-being, for the people in your life, for your body. This is all critical right now. And so I encourage you to do just that today. Thank you, everybody. I'm going to use this as a moment to also remind you we're going to be opening registration for Your Best Year, our virtual year planning retreat next Friday on Black Friday. Um, And I am excited to have this next week be a nourishing one for me and my team as we get this launch uh, complete, but also for us to plan our year together, to plan our 2021 together and make it our best year yet. I will see you guys on our next Lessons in Resilience next week. Stay tuned for the lineup. And I can't wait for all that's ahead for all of us. Sending you all of my heart today. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you loved this episode, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. And if you want to follow me, Gomal, check me out on Instagram at K-O-M-A-L-M-I-N.
for the show at LessonsLearned.co. And if you have an idea of a lesson that we should dive into on the show, then slide into our DMs and submit there or on the website along with any guests you think I should interview and talk all of the things with. As always, I hope that you make some time for you this week and reflect on the lessons you're learning or have learned and take some time to celebrate all the incredible that is you. Until next time, guys. Bye.